Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of Down to Earth. It's the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today being Wednesday, September 10th. So it's actually one day before the commemoration of 9-11 that we're broadcasting. Uh, today is Thursday. September 11th, 2020. And in the last 24 hours, I think all of us have kind of just gone through, it's kind of like when your husband tells you he's gonna divorce you. (laughs) And you spend, you can't sleep at night, you can't, you toss and turn, and you're not sure how it's gonna go, and you feel really badly about it. That's kind of how the rest of us feel, that after everything that you've tried to do, after everything you've done, your husband tells you he wants a divorce because he cheated. <laughs> and you're like, seriously, like you could have seen this coming. You kind of sensed that this was, but to hear him say it in his own words is damning. Well, that's sort of how we all felt yesterday when we learned from the Woodward tapes. And Bob, Bob Woodward is kind of a venerable uh, journalist. He's in fact credited with bringing down the Nixon administration because he discovered the tapes from Watergate that convinced some Republicans and senators who stormed into the Oval Office and persuaded then-President Nixon to resign. I don't think we have men and women of that caliber today who are likely to storm into the Oval Office and convince this president to resign. I don't think so. I think this president buttressed himself and protected himself by making sure he has dirt on people. I think that, frankly, that that's just the truth. But If you were to ask me, what is the opportunity cost or what is the cost of the revelations contained in Mr. Woodward's book, I am going to tell you 190,000 people. The number is so heavy and weighs so heavily on most of us that I think we're all trying to breathe. I think finally, All Americans, black, white, and the in-between, have finally woken up to the fact that I can't breathe. We can't breathe. The coronavirus has robbed us of our collective national breath. We can't breathe. We can't breathe because we can't believe that this could have been avoided, that we're the richest country in the world, We have, I'm going to read you a statistic I read this morning on a periodical. It says the U.S. has, listen to this, is number, leads the world in medical technology. Yet we are number 97 in access to healthcare. The U.S. is number one in quality of universities, but number one, number 91 with access to quality basic education. We lead the world in medical technology but we can't breathe. There are people, 190,000 and counting, it's not over yet, who have died as a result 
of the, I think we're all collectively numb because we're all thinking about the folks we know who have died and some who are still suffering from debilitating effects. There are people whom I know who are still going through therapy, physical therapy to relearn how to walk. People are still going through respiratory therapy to relearn how to breathe as a result of the debilitating effects, effects of the coronavirus. In fact, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms of Atlanta tweeted yesterday that her husband had contracted COVID and she was exposed to it. And she said it's two months after and he's headed yesterday, he was headed for an MRI, an appointment to do an MRI because every morning since then when he wakes up, he has debilitating headaches. And when you look at, if you were to ask me, that is the cost. That is what it has cost us. And so this morning, even as we talk about black doctors pushing for antibiotics, training in medicine, we still as a nation have to reconcile and reckon with ourselves. Like who do we elect to serve us at the local level and at the national level? We can't let fanaticism control how we vote and select people who lead. It can't just be fanaticism. It can't be because I like a personality. It has to be on soundness. I want to see your record. If you have never served in government before, I want to see your record. I want to see you having advocated or worked in the community or worked with community members to bring about change right at your level. Okay, so you probably have never held a national position. That's fine. Very few people have, but show me your record where you have worked and advocated to make someone's life better. We can't just choose people because we like them. This is what is happening to us right now. Right now, right now, as people learned this overnight, as people watch this unfold, they are waiting for the hospital to notify them to come and pick up their loved one's body. Right now, they are looking as the doctors tell them, your loved one tested positive for COVID, and they're not going to make it. And we, the question we really need to ask ourselves is, is this what we want? Is this how we want to proceed? And frankly, I don't think so. I don't think any of us anywhere wanted this to happen. I, I didn't sleep well last night, so you're seeing me raw. I don't even have makeup on. <laughs> because I, I, I simply, I could not sleep last night. I tossed and turned and did everything to try to fall asleep. But guys, it just wasn't happening because I could not shake the fact that for seven long months, we've been going under, people have lost homes, people have lost an entire way of life, people have lost their businesses, children can't go to school, our whole way of life disrupted, our whole life pattern disrupted as a result of a virus that could have been prevented. I am not saying that there wasn't a way in which the virus couldn't have been mitigated. I'm not saying there wasn't a way in which it wasn't going to happen, maybe one or two or 10 cases, 
but it should never have gotten to this point. And the fact that the virus, the president knew that the virus was transmissible by air and did not tell us so we could have prevented it, so we could have protected ourselves, is bad. It's very bad. And still going out and encouraging people not to wear masks and having large groups of people congregate is grossly irresponsible. I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, last night, it, I actually found myself thinking that, well, if it is transmissible by air, which we have all suspected, because from the very beginning, I couldn't understand how it's a virus and it wasn't transmissible by air. I was terrified of touching places and, and breathing the air in. Then I said to myself, well, even when you're at home, maybe we should wear masks at home then, because uh, when you think about it, you have to ask yourself, well, why wouldn't you? Right? Why wouldn't you wear a mask at home? Because they, you open your windows, you open your doors, the air comes in. Your AC is on, the air comes in through it, right? So why would you not wear a mask at home? It, it, it's just too terrifying to think about. So we're approaching 9-11. It's the memorial of 9-11 tomorrow. And I'm asking you to pray. Pray for our country. Pray for Americans. Pray for people who right now are holding on to their loved ones, for whom right now this is their moment. This is their moment of uncertainty. There are people for whom this virus has totally upended how they live. There are people who have been evicted. There are people who have been forced out of their homes. There are people who have been forced into homelessness as a result of this virus. And all they were concerned about, all the president was concerned about was saving the stock market. That's all he was concerned about, saving the stock market. Meanwhile, the rest of us perished. So I'm asking all of us, I'm asking all of us, wherever you are, whatever you do, pray for us. Right, today we're going to talk about black doctors push for anti-bias training in medicine. The story is that I can't breathe were George Floyd's last words. Doctors writing in the New England Journal of Medicine are using those same words as a refrain to lay out how systemic racism has negatively impacted the health of African-Americans and how this is the moment to change it. Black doctors are now calling on healthcare systems to take the lead in advocating against police brutality to diversify their workforces to better reflect their patient population. I think that's pretty reasonable. And to incorporate addressing racial health disparities as part of clinicians' training. I think that's pretty straightforward and very easy to understand and to and relatable, entirely relatable. I mean, after all, when you go to the doctor and your uh, his ethnicity differs from yours, at the back of your mind, one of the first things you ask yourself is, are, is he culturally aware or is she culturally aware so that any disparities in backgrounds, socioeconomic status, or in culture can be addressed? Because sometimes there is a difference in how approaches are dealt with. For instance, people who are of South Asian descent are perhaps more comfortable going to a doctor of South Asian descent because they feel that that person will understand the cultural nuances and thereby treat them better. Well, it's the same thing that we are seeing in America today. Uh, there are not enough black doctors to treat black 
patients, right? And because of structured racism, we, we got to understand that there are different parts to, to, to white supremacy and there are different parts to systemic racism. Structured racism is just one part. Structured racism is, let me put it to you just plainly, structured racism occurs when blacks live in one community and whites live in another community. When taxes in one community differ from how, many ta how much taxes you pay in another community and how much services are in one community as opposed to city services. Services that should be general, services that should be available for all are distributed differently based on people's race and people's income. That's structured racism. Right? Structured racism occurs also in college admissions. Like uh, white kids get better budgets in their school districts, so they have better access to basic education, as the article says, right? And so their opportunity for upward mobility is enhanced, is greatly enhanced, as compared to black kids who are not exposed to the same level of basic quality education, and therefore they have less opportunity of advancing. That's structured racism. It becomes systemic when it is not just confined to one geographic area. It is systemic because you find that in all the, in all the spaces in all, all of the country. Do you see you know what I'm saying? So it's broad in its application. So then it becomes systemic because if you're black, this is how you're gonna be treated. The structured part of it is that it is designed to work this way. That's the other component to it. So when you look at this, it then makes the argument for having anti-bias training as part of medicine very, very relevant. It, it should be across the board. It shouldn't just be doctors. It should be nurses. It should be all clinical partners. It should be all clinicians, whether they administer medicine or not, whether they treat and diagnose, whether they, they, they provide therapy services, whether they're physical therapists, respiratory therapists, or occupational therapists, any form of therapy, anybody who is touching the human body, anyone touching the human body should be subjected to anti-bias training because anti-bias training is killing black people. Anti-bias training, we've seen that now in COVID, right? How people were treated differently, how black, in, in the Detroit area, one woman who worked for a local hospital died because when she kept complaining about the symptoms, they kept sending her home from the emergency room. Her family is going to file a lawsuit, as they should. Why? Because this is, anti, this is bias training by clinicians. Reports have to be done. They have to find the, 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 the people and obtain statements. It's, it's a big deal, but it needs to happen, right? So anti-bias training is very necessary. There are more black women. We're going to do another show, a follow-up to our show that we did earlier this year on black women dying while giving birth. I call it pregnant while black. Like seriously, <laughs> the ways in which black people are treated by healthcare professionals is degrading and unbelievable and should not be tolerated, quite frankly. You have to become your own best advocate. I saw that happen even with my own mother. When my mom was, uh, was sick and how she was treated by the healthcare uh, uh, system, by professionals in healthcare, then I showed up. And I started asking questions. And then, you know, we I found out they, they kept saying, well, when mom said, well, when family members show up, the more family care about you. I said, that's not it. I said, it's, it's all kinds of factors here. It's racism and it's class. 
And mom was reluctant to see it because she didn't want to accept that even the very people whom she worked with could be racist. And I told her I understood that. But I said, you got to call it what it is, that even though you were exposed to the same level of professional training, they still looked at you through the realm and through the lens of color. And therefore, they're going to treat you as such until someone calls them out on their foolishness, on their tomfoolery. Do you see what I'm saying? So we've got to get to the stage where we see people for people. And and the movement is coming because now the country is no longer uh, 100% white. The country is no longer 80% white. It's no longer 67% white. It's not 60% white. It's lower than 58%. I feel as if the reason they called a halt to the census is because the numbers were coming in alarmingly that the country was getting predominantly brown, which means then that they have to redistribute goods and services. Nobody wants to acknowledge that because the people who are in power who are white want to hold on to power, not for any other reason than they want to contain power to themselves. And the rest of us don't matter. Well, that day and time has changed. So now we, there's a movement coming where there are going to be more people who are brown and black. The country is getting more brown. And who is going to be in power? That's a serious question. I, I, I'm posing this because we're not unique in this. This phenomenon of the browning of the population is not unique. It's happening in Europe. It's happening in countries in Europe like Denmark, Finland, Belgium, uh, Switzerland. It's happening in those countries. It's happening in France. It started racial unrest. It's happened in Great Britain, right? It's happening in Germany. It's happening right across Europe. It's happening across the whole world because people are migrating and moving. A lot of what is spurring and has been spurring the migratory patterns of people over the last 10 to 20 years is climate change. Countries where they lived were enveloped in wars, and because of climate change, places got drier, people had no access to water, they couldn't plant crops, they couldn't live, they moved into urban centers, those became overwhelmed with people and resources, uh, available community resources such as water and jobs became less and less available. So people started moving north. It's almost as if the human being is sensing something is coming and just keeps running, running, running towards it just running away from it, running north, as far north as you can go. So now we're looking at how do these things affect population? Well, people begin moving. So, of course, the population is going to what change to reflect the people who live there, and migratory patterns impact that. So naturally, people want representatives who look like them, whether they're their doctors, their nurses, or their clinicians, people want teachers who understand them and who are able to deliver care that is understandable and that is healing. In a lot of spaces, what we have seen is that people do get care, but they die from preventable diseases that the white population do not die from, like giving birth. I'm going to read a statistic that I came across yesterday, over 2,000 and 2,700 black women died in, in, during childbirth, and specifically in the last 10 years, but the number for white women was less. Can't happen. We need anti-bias training in healthcare. People need to be able 
to access good quality healthcare that has nothing to do with my race, my ethnicity, my nation of origin, if applicable, or just simply how I look. I should be able to walk in and get good quality healthcare just because I'm a human being. Healthcare that is driven by standards of care. Healthcare that complies with uh, the Department of Health and Human Services and World Health Organization standards. Healthcare that is delivered with, with cost, with, with, with a cause to dignity, to human dignity. And that is entirely based upon my circumstances. Entirely based upon me as a person, but not on what my circumstances look like. It's, it's across the board. You walk in, and if you're white, you get a different level of greeting and a different level of treating treatment. Sometimes, especially in the last four years in America, you go into somewhere and it's like you step back into the 1950s, like it's 1950s all over again. And I don't know if, if we're sensing a change is coming, and so we're running. We're literally running. So we're trying to recoup as much as we can. It, it, it's still not going to work because it is what it is, as the kids would say. So I want to read for you some of this. I'm going to quote some information here to you. And, and here are the facts. The facts are, like what I told you earlier, the U.S. is number one in quality of universities, but number 91 in access to quality basic education. The U.S. leads the medical leads the world in medical technology, yet we are number 97 in access to healthcare. Unbelievable. Black doctors want training on systemic racial bias in healthcare to be part of a physician's education. I think that is entirely reasonable. Part of the reason is COVID-19. COVID-19 disproportionately affected the African-American community and impacted Black Americans. The rallying cry of George Floyd's, I can't breathe. It, it initially was started by Eric Garner. But when George Floyd screamed, I can't breathe, all of us now recognize that we can't breathe collectively, that we can't breathe because we can't breathe, right? Right? And so we have issues. Uh, when doctors are trained, and their training, their training is based, at, for instance, I learned that people with different uh, pigmentation in your skin, different levels of melanin, determine what your skin color looks like. Isn't that kind of basic, though? Right? People with that, the darker the pigmentation in your skin, there are certain, when you enter into an emergency room or you present at a, at, to a clinician, there are different indicators of respiration and uh, disease process that <clears throat> can be apparent to a clinician based upon your skin, based upon the presentation of your skin. But if your skin is darker pigmented, then it's going to look very different on you. It probably might not show on me than it would show on someone who is as is, is much uh, is white, right? So you've got to who so you've got to ask yourself then how does it present? The way medical books and textbooks are written, it does not differentiate. It does not distinguish. It has one pattern as if that one pattern is only based on people who are white or white skinned. It doesn't look, it doesn't take into consideration how brown people look. I 
actually never knew that. I didn't know that. I thought that the teaching in medical programs across the country was so broad-based, was specific, that based upon how a person, based, if you're going to say, if someone's lips are going to turn blue, well, if someone has dark-colored lips because they smoke all their lives, how do you know if it's blue or not? If the skin around the lips is dark, how are you going to know if it's blue or not? I had no idea they did not take those into consideration. Black women who have been pregnant and will tell you that the way they're handled and touched by physicians and clinicians is very different. They don't talk to them or touch them. And they make assumptions. This is where the systemic racism come in. People present and they assume that because you're black, you're on welfare, or because you're black, you don't know how to eat and send you to a nutritionist. They did that to me when I was pregnant with my youngest child. I lived in an upper middle class neighborhood, but my color. <laughs> so they assumed. <laughs> that I needed WIC. And I'm, I didn't even know what WIC was. Women's Infant and Children Program. I didn't know what it was. I said, why do I need to go to a nutritionist? I know nutrition. I remember my doctor, actually, he was a white man, actually sat me down. And I, I see I was new to this racism thing. So I didn't quite get it. I didn't get it at all until my pregnancy had advanced and I had delivered the baby, then I understood that people were not being rude, that this was systemic and that this was probably racism. I remember my physician asking me, what do I eat? Because I was 35 going on 36 and I was pregnant. And so they acted as if it was such an anomaly for me to be 35 years old and pregnant. This was 18 years ago, right? And they acted like it was the strangest thing. Can you believe them? So my doctor sat me down and asked me, how, what do I eat? So I said, what do you eat? I probably eat the same things you do. I said, don't all human beings eat salmon and steak and chicken and, and roast chicken for dinner? I said, all human beings eat that. And he looked surprised. I said, oh, what do you think I eat? I eat eggs in the mornings. At the time I was pregnant, so you know, I didn't I couldn't keep anything down for a long time, but as the pregnancy advanced, my eating habits changed and reverted back to normal. So I could, you know, eat your regular stuff, your oatmeal, your eggs and drink milk. I used to drink milk by the gallon when I was pregnant. Every nowadays I still have a half a glass of milk at night. It helps me to sleep better. Right? But <laughs> Can you just, this is, this is why we call it systemic racism, because I don't know what he thinks. I ate paper, maybe grass. At one point, I remember my husband at the time saying, what does he think you eat grass? He's like, maybe you need to, you know, he was like, maybe he needs to, you need to invite him for dinner because I couldn't believe it. I mean, people cook food in their home. Don't you cook lamb chops and stuff like that? Huh? Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you folks getting it? This is systemic racism. I won't begin to tell you what it felt like when I was giving birth. There was a labor nurse in the room who was black. Thank God for her. But they might, the, the baby was stuck in the birth canal and she could bear it because they underestimated me. The doctor never did a vag. I remember asking him, how come you don't examine me vaginally? 
to make sure the baby's head is turned down, to make sure the baby, because sometimes the doctor can move the baby. So my young, you know, she stayed on one side for so long. I used to have to tell her to move over. The doctors, you, they examine you vaginally and help to move, you know, move the baby around. So you get some comfort and relief. These are things you take for granted. So I, I couldn't understand it. I thought he, he, when he didn't touch my person, I, I just assumed that, I said, how come you don't touch? Oh, if he had examined me, he would have known that my cervix was too small and the baby's head was much bigger than my cervix. And they probably should have done a C-section. I am here today by the grace of God. I did not die because her head was bigger than my cervix and could barely come out. That is bias and systemic bias. By the grace of God, I survived and the baby survived. When she was born, she was greenish blue. She had no oxygen. They thought she was going to be uh, brain dead. They thought she was going to have all kinds of birth defects. When she was born inside of the, the delivery room, they had a pediatric, uh, pediatric, uh, whatever, and a, what was it, a neonatal surgeon, a pediatric anesthesiologist, because they thought something was going to be wrong. Luckily, by the time she came out, she, she screamed, and her, she was fine, and she breathed on her own. Maybe that's why she means so much to me today. That probably explains why I love her so much. Every breath she takes to me right now is precious. Some days I wonder, but that's children, right? That's just how it is. But I am saying to you, this is part of what people endure. Now, imagine there, these instances are multiplied across the board. What's even more alarming is that people walking with irregular heartbeats, and they're told they're anxious, go home, or given a pill for pain. One of the biggest things that happen is that doctors ignore when black women say they're in pain. Somebody, a black man goes and says, I feel pain in my chest. And the doctor gives him a painkiller instead of giving him an EKG to determine if he has heart disease. If you are black, don't go into the hospital for, for anxiety. They will put you, if you are 25, they will say you have heart disease and give you medication for it. I read a story on Twitter uh, yesterday. Uh, I should have screenshot it, but it's probably still there. I'm going to screenshot it and post it. But a young man said his grandfather was diagnosed with diabetes and placed on insulin for six years. He began to feel really bad. And he was taken to the doctor by his, 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 his parent, the young man who was reporting it, when his dad took his father to the doctor. And he was tested. He had never had diabetes. They killed him off. He died a few days later from complications. He, they gave him insulin until he died for six years. He had never had diabetes. Are you hearing me? He was misdiagnosed. You go into the doctor, you don't feel good, you're dizzy. They immediately say you must have a blood sugar problem. It could just be you have an electrolyte problem. It could just be you're lacking vitamin K. It could just be you're lacking magnesium. The remedies that they would give out, distribute to people, oh, just go home and take something for your electrolytes. You probably need to eat more vitamin K. Eat bananas, take some magnesium, and you'll feel better. Come back in two weeks and let's see how you feel. Instead, they say that you have 
you have a life-threatening illness and start giving you drugs that eventually kill you off. It makes me wonder now how many women go into to get their breasts examined. And they will look at your breast and see something in your breast developing and not talk about it, not tell you that it's, it's something. So you can start getting treatment early. How many people go in, how many women go in and they tell them you have breast cancer, put them on a program, give them chemotherapy, and then they die. This is what is called bias in healthcare. And I'm glad that black doctors are pushing for this to be taught in medical school and part of their physician's training so that by the time they end up in the emergency room and they start a practice of their own, they're a little less biased. We got to look at the broad application of how poverty impacts populations. I'm not happy either. There are some things that I'm not happy about either. But there are also systemic and structured racism elements and factors that impact people's lives. We can't continue like this, right? We've got to understand that. We, we, we've got to understand that when people stand up, that these things like these happened. The coronavirus pandemic caused a disproportionate illness and death in the African-American community. Listen to this. Blacks account for 22% of U.S. deaths from COVID-19, yet we are only 12.5% of the population. 45% of cases reported to the CDC included racial identification of coronavirus victims. It's devastating. 22% of people who died from COVID-19 were Black, but we're only 12% of the population. It's like a plague. They call it, you know what physicians called it? The black plague. We have good, hardworking physicians, but the cases of implicit bias is so prejudiced that it applies to people, right? We've got to change it. Listen to this. The lack of diversity among U.S. clinicians is, is really something to think about. More than half of U.S. practicing physicians are white, 17% are Asian, 6% Hispanic, and just 5% are black. This is 2018 data from the Association of American Medical Colleges. When, and this is the point I was making, when you learn in medical school about burns and rashes and skin diseases, they're described in how they appear on white patients. They don't tell you how it appears on a Latina patient, on an Asian patient, or on a black patient. I'm a little concerned about this. Half of US practicing physicians are white, 17% are Asian. You know what that also tells me? They make sure the white people who get into medical school all pass. Research shows that patients of color lack diversity. Uh, Where they lack diversity can translate into less responsive care, of course. Black patients are generally undertreated for pain than white patients, according to a 2016 study. So you go into, just like I said, you go into the doctor and you ask, tell them you're in pain and they ignore you. White medical students and residents believe the, listen to this, white medical students and residents believe the black body was biologically different and in many cases stronger than the white body. And in some cases, they believe that blacks have a high tolerance for pain. 
Maybe that's what my white doctor was thinking when I was pregnant. So he thought I had a higher tolerance for pain. That pain almost killed me to give birth. I kid you not. When it comes to cancer treatment, systemic racial issues leads to higher mortality. More than 15 academic papers examined residential segregation found that living in segregated black communities is associated with later stage diagnosis of breast and lung cancers and lower survival rates. I just said it. I just said it. So where you live accounts for how you are treated. It, it, it accounts for later stage diagnosis of breast and lung cancer. Lord have mercy. I found out when my mom got sick the last time we took her, she worked for Detroit Medical Centers. I kid you not. And when she was first diagnosed in 2014, her doctor said she had a longevity rate if she'd exceed five years, blah, blah, blah. When she got sick within three years, I, towards the end, I wasn't happy with how Detroit Medical Centers was progressing with her care. I moved her to Henry Ford Hospital and they gave us a different analysis. First of all, Detroit Medical Centers to whom my mom was employed did not want to release her medical files. Mom was still alive, so she signed off for it. And she wasn't you know, in her right mind. They wouldn't release it. When they finally got it, it was three weeks before mom died. It was at that moment that the doctors at Henry Ford Healthcare System told me that mom's disease, oh God, please help me. Mom didn't have to die, that they misdiagnosed her, that she actually at the time in 2014 had signs of three different types of cancer. They only treated her for one. My mom is now gone. It's been three years. And I'm trying real hard not to cry. Really hard. They misdiagnosed my mom. She worked for them. She trusted her colleagues, the people whom she worked with. But because of the systemic bias and the racial bias in healthcare, they only treated her for one. She was on Medicare and she was on their health insurance because she was still employed to them. So it wasn't a question of lack of uh, funding to pay for it. She was insured. It was just systemic bias. It's what killed mom. My mom is gone. You think I'm not going to do something about it? Let me get through the grief. When I'm done grieving, they will pay. We've got to rid the system of systemic bias. Healthcare is no place for prejudiced and racist people to be in. Even amongst us, Asian, the Asian uh, population of, of clinicians, they too practice racism against blacks all the time, every time. It's not just the cultural nuances that are different, because even white patients sometimes will choose not to have an Asian doctor because they fear that the language barriers prevent them from understanding each other, from communicating well. But Asian 
clinicians are biased towards black patients. And you all need to wake up and just accept it. It is what it is. You view black people the same, through the same lens as white people do. You have absorbed the white racist strata and structured and, and systemic racist attitudes and apply them towards black people. Yes, Asian clinicians do over and over and over again. Typically, most black patients are not even with a white doctor. That is, if, you're a, if you find a specialist, but typically their primary care is someone who probably has the same skin color as they do, yet they're still misdiagnosed and mistreated. Something has got to give. First, it was me when I was pregnant, and then it was mom. I'm not going to pay for it with my life. My mom did, but I'm not going to pay for it. And I don't want you to have to pay the price. Many of us have family members who have paid the price for systemic racism, whose family members were misdiagnosed and mistreated. I have a caller, so I'm going to take this call. Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for joining me. What's up? You know, on that case, you t- on the situation you're talking about, mm. in St. Louis, decades ago, when Jews weren't allowed or discouraged or prevented from attending traditional hospital, mm-hmm. in this case, like Barnes Hospital there on South Kings Highway mm-hmm. at uh, Highway 70. Mm-hmm. Well, they built a Jewish hospital. Hmm. And they also trained Jewish doctors. So my mm-hmm. question is, and I am African American, why don't blacks direct more of their children into the medical field and provide them with the support that yeah. they need in order to be Come successful? On. Right. Because when you look at the percentage of black doctors as mm-hmm. many professions, engineers, so they are not representative of their population in this mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're talking about competition. Mm-hmm. And that is where it lies. If black don't go to white doctors, if they don't go to Asian doctors, if they go to a black doctor, then the Asian and white doctors won't be getting their money. Hello. Say it. Say yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're so right. I guess that's why uh, these group of black doctors are pushing for anti-bias training. But as you said, the bigger question is, why aren't more black Americans? Train your own for? doctors. Yeah. You know, we have an abundance of blacks in these professional sports to the mm-hmm. point that you are wasting a lot of children who are looking to go to the big stage but never go mm-hmm. there, then they have deficiencies in their academic, therefore they are subjected to abject of poverty during their lifetime. Mm-hmm. See, so all that has to be changed. It has yeah, to be a balance. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Man, that is and so more profound. directing of the kid more direct Another thing, blacks are overrepresented in low-paying majors. 
Well, you know, I don't blame the children. I blame the society because the society are not preparing their children, whereas they can be efficient and qualify in order to take on the subject matter that leads them into high-paying majors. You're speaking the truth, sir. You know it is. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Man, I can't begin to tell you. So it looks like the answer is train more black doctors. So that means we're going to have to talk more to our children about raising up about going into medicine. Uh, My youngest daughter, whom I told you about, whom I was pregnant with, and uh, when I encountered uh, systemic racism in healthcare, guess what she wants to be? You guessed it, a doctor. So we've been having this conversation in our home for years, many years now. And uh, just yesterday, she announced, All this time, she was going into medicine because she was curious about how the human brain works. She wanted to be a neurosurgeon. She did, she looked up on YouTube, what does it look like to operate on the brain? And I'm like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know when people's head get cuts up and all that stuff. But just a few days ago, I think it was yesterday, guess what she said? I think I'm going to change my specialty, y'all. She said, I think I am going to be an OBGYN. Because there are not enough black doctors to help black mothers when they are pregnant. I felt like hallelujah. I was like, finally, if this is her purpose, if this is what she was born to do, if this is what she's supposed to do, then it was worth all those hours that I labored all the discomfort and uncertainty whether she was going to live or whether I was going to survive, if I could have developed all kinds of pulmonary embolisms, all kinds of stuff by the grace of God. But because she's here, she says, I am going to help black mothers when they give birth. As the caller said, that's what we need to do. Let's change that. So if you're listening to this, if you are watching me and you're hearing me, If you are off the color of my skin and of my ethnicity, I am going to ask you to make sure that you send your kids to medical school. Listen, don't look at the cost. If you look at the cost, you'll never do it. You'll never, ever do it. Don't do that. First, qualify for college. Then get to college. Then God will find a way. You will find a way to do it if you really, really want to do it drive an ambition to change people's lives and impact people for the better, we'll drive it. Can I count on you for that? Can I count on you? Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Go to my website, harrietcamera.com, as well as get my book, Through the Fire, available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. No, I'm not part of the book industrial complex. I don't write a tell-all book about how the president got over. (laughs) I write a book based on facts. These are the facts. Thanks so much, everybody. Make sure you stream, share this broadcast with someone. Thank you so much. Be blessed, everybody. Happy Thursday. Be blessed.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.